Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 278 and my conversation with freelance percussionist, performer, educator, and adjunct professor at Lee University in Tennessee, Caitlin Jones. Let's get right to it. I met Caitlin through a number of different avenues. I was first made aware of her through one of Pete's regular guests and Pete's only groomsman that he's had on the podcast, Jeff Calissi. Jeff texted me soon after Caitlin Jones had come to his university to present a solo percussion concert and talked to his students and said that I should have her on the show. Then we had a committee meeting for the Percussive Arts Society's Health and Wellness Committee that I am part of just before PASIC, and I realized we were both on that meeting. We chatted during the meeting and then set it up that we would talk on this podcast after PASIC. And finally, at PASIC, we met up and chatted a bunch along with her head of percussion activities at Lee, Andy Harnsberger, who I hope to have on this show at some point later this year. But it was now time to have Caitlin on. Caitlin started working at Lee University soon after she received her doctorate from the University of South Carolina. Lee was familiar to her because she received her master's degree studying under Andy Harnsberger. Caitlin's turned into an excellent percussionist and musician in her young career and is taking that career in fascinating directions. For now, she's been setting up a lot of performance opportunities for herself through her social media activity and has been freelancing locally in the Chattanooga region of Tennessee. Caitlin's also someone who has thought about and dealt with her own mental and physical health a lot and sees it as an important part to making a full life. That's what connected us on the PAS committee that we both serve on and on this chat as well. We get into all of that and a whole lot more in this interview. So let's get to it. We recorded this, our first full-length interview of the new year over Zoom on January 7th, 2022, and it begins right now. So, Caitlin, give me a summation of your percussion activities as they are at this point. Okay, right now it's been really exciting because performing has been ramping up for me, which has been awesome. I thought it would kind of take off, but it's taken off a lot faster. Um, so doing solo recitals, I have, I believe, seven things coming up this semester that are solo. So I'm like really amped up about that. And then I work part-time at Lee University teaching percussion. And I also teach oral skills one, which I also like to throw out there. Yeah. I never thought that would be happening. So yeah. And then just, you know, any sort of symphony gig or anything like that, that comes up, of course, always happy to take, but right now solo performances have been the main thing that have been coming and I'm really excited about it. So how did you get connected at Lee? Well, I got my master's there. So that was the first big thing. So it would have been in the midst of COVID first starting, they were in need of another percussion person. So they reached out and then COVID really ramped up and then it still worked out that I got that part-time job. So that's really, it's been cool that that happened in the midst of, you know, no one getting jobs at all. I feel very fortunate. Because you were a master's student there, was there, could you sense that there was a need or, or someone there, they left, there was an opening. How, How did that happen? Yeah. Someone was there and they had left. So then just trying to think about growing the percussion studio. I mean, 
it's hard when it's just one teacher. You look at like vocal faculty, they have like eight. So right now it's Andy Harnsberger. And then I'm doing kind of the same thing he is. And then we have Tom Hurst who teaches drum set and he's awesome. Where in Tennessee is it again? It's right outside Chattanooga in Cleveland, Tennessee. So Southeast. So barely in the state is what you're saying. Yeah. You're in Georgia pretty fast when you look. <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> Lookout mountain and yeah, you know, yeah. Ruby yeah. fall. Yeah. Rock city. Yeah. Yeah. My, we have family my, my wife's side in um, just outside of Atlanta. And mm-hmm. so coming, we drive, when we drive out there, Chattanooga's 75. What's the, yep. okay. I-75. So we've, we've stopped there for like lunch and the hang and, and it's a pretty cool town actually. And it's, it's really pretty cause it's like the mountains and the water and everything is, is over there. Yeah. It's a nice place to live. Lots of hiking, lots of scenery. It's really cool place. Oh, I see a, I see a pup right behind you. Yeah. A tail. (laughs) 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 So what's been the kind of the, the charge or the amount of stuff that you've been able to teach at Lee so far? I I feel pretty lucky because as a part-time person, I feel like I have quite a bit happening. So I teach oral skills. That's honestly what my biggest like time consumption is. It's so funny is not in percussion, but in oral skills, I teach oral skills one, I teach percussion methods and then help with percussion ensemble, regular lessons for percussion. So I had only two last semester. So hopefully growing in that. And then Lee has orchestra coaching, which is super cool. Every section has a faculty member in it, either playing or just monitoring to kind of help grow what the students can do in the orchestral playing. So how? So I feel like it's pretty busy. Yeah. So that that's a weekly item that coaching. Yep. Every Monday we have orchestra and we're all there and it's great. So the the it's not as much with the kind of the lesson stuff. I guess um, Andy's doing a lot is kind of does probably covers all of that kind of stuff, but you are taking, taking the percussion methods. And is that, is that in every semester or once a, once a year? They have it once a year. So every fall we have it. Got it. This is kind of the, always the million dollar question with that course is how how much can you get to? It's like really sad because I want to go further, go further, but it's barely touch the surface. So I always, wonder why it's not a year course but then I'm like well music ed students have to take a thousand classes as it is so these poor students I mean it's a lot for them so I always do you know the big three snare drum keyboard timpani and it's like a day on drum set a day for marching um percussion ensemble if there's a chance a day for steel band because I'm from Florida and a lot of band directors do have the opportunity where a steel band is already fully at their school and they might be teaching it. So what do you do? Right. Yeah. But it's hard to try to cover everything. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Like accessory. Uh, Accessories, uh, like two days. That's it. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. You do the circle. It's like, all right, here's how you play triangle. Okay. Move. Show next, the next person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy teaching that class, but. So far, it's been going well. Yeah. What Does Lee have a marching band or no? They do not. So that's why it's, I wonder how much marching they get. You know, of course, you have high school where most of them have done marching, but 
there's no marching at college. They take some sort of marching band class. I forget the correct title of it, but then, you know, you expose them to a drum line. Some of them have never, they have no idea what any of these instruments even are. So yeah, Yeah. I tell them to go march drum corps, (laughs) go be in it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they, well, or they, to tell them to go back to their schools and 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 work. tech. Yeah, exactly. What is the typical student who goes to that university? Where are they from? What's their, what is their background? Yeah. So Lee primarily is, it is a Christian school uh, through the church of God. So a lot of students do come there because they are in the church of God and they want to come to the university that is through that um, religious sect. So that's probably the main student. And then a lot of students are from the area. So they're in this general area of Southeast Tennessee, Northern Georgia coming here. And then I think a lot, especially in the grad area, the faculty is pretty outstanding for this small school in Little Tennessee. They're starting to really come because they see these faculty members out there performing and they want to go study with them. So we have a little bit of everything, but mainly the religion and being from the area. If I'm not mistaken, that's a it's a very evangelical sect, right? It's in the Pentecostal uh, umbrella. Mm-hmm. I know because you were there as a, a master student, but were you expected to do? Was there like any expectation about like your own? Did you have to attend anything? Like, was there anything that was kind of specific to it that that you had to do as as a part of your going there? For the undergrad, there is. For the master's, not as much because you're kind of expected, you know, you better be in the practice room, honestly. Sure, yeah. Yeah, for the undergrad, I mean, they go to chapel Tuesday, Thursday. Um, We did, as a master's student, have to take a Christian philosophy course. That was interesting. It was kind of through a music lens. It was actually cool to see grad students of all backgrounds in this class and just discussing ideas. So that was interesting, but otherwise as a grad student, not so much. In the area, cause you had said that you, part of what you're, you're doing is just trying to gig as well. How wide of a base is that for you to, to actually do that? Um, so I got my doctorate at university of South Carolina. And I mean, it was like just small regional orchestras. It felt like everywhere. Like there was one in Columbia, Charleston. Well, Charleston's a big one. Um, Aiken, Rock Hill. They're just building all these orchestras. So it felt if you get in one, you got your foot in the door for all of them. Whereas here, the main is Chattanooga and Knoxville. And those are pretty, you know, getting up there too. We're not so much just a regional playing on the weekends, but these are people that have their seat and they're in it. So I just actually played with Chattanooga for the first time a few weeks ago. So hopefully that'll lead to more, but I'm seeing that the solo work is actually coming along a lot faster than the regional stuff, which is interesting. I thought it would be the other way around. How has that been developing? Cause you said that you, it's been ramping up. Um, what, what's kind of the, is it because there's a, like a set program that you're, you're doing, or is it, is there anything more specific that's why that's been ramping up aside from the fact that COVID is, is like maybe on the, who knows? I don't even want Yeah, don't risk it. Well, I think part of it is even during COVID I tried to stay active on social media with even if it was something silly, practicing two mouths, two mouths aren't silly, but like I'm thinking something small scale, not like huge production. I was still trying to do something. 
and just being really active on social media in general and just saying like, yes, I'm open to it. I'll drive. Yes. I'll put a marimba in my Honda Civic. Let's go. Let's make it happen. Like nothing holding me back. I'll find a dog sitter. Here we go. So I think just being out there and being, Hey, I'm here with this music. I want to make it happen if you want to make it happen. So just emailing schools and then through that, got a few connections. And then just social media has been the biggest thing. Like what's the kind of the, is there like a theme for the, for like what you're currently working on? Is there a theme or are you, is there a lot of technical stuff that's going on in terms of uh, like audio production or things that are part of what you're doing? It really has been just putting myself out there and saying yes to whatever is requested back. So like this last semester, I just said, hey, can I give a solo program at your school? Here's my YouTube channel, what do you think? And I like, for example, I played at Miami University in Ohio. They said, can you give us a 30 minute marimba performance and 30 minutes talking about being young and trying to get a career started? And then like Jeff Calissi, he said, can you speak on your dissertation? And then someone else said, can you play this marimba concerto? So it's not like a set. Here's what I have. It's I'll do what's requested to a certain extent of my ability to play for you. So it's been, yeah, just say yes, make it happen. Being open to that. It's oddly one of the benefits of being adjunct or whatever, however, part-time, I'm not sure what the what is your designation? Is it, it is part time? Yeah. So is it like a lecturer is, or what's the, what's the, what's your like title? at uh, Part time instructor. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so, okay. So this is something I've been thinking on like the last year is man, if I had one, a full-time job, this would not be happening. Yes. I would have retirement. Yes. I would have, you know, more benefits, but health insurance. would I be playing? The answer is probably no. I would be in that, you know, five, six year mode of, I got to get tenure. I got to make this happen. What am I going to do? I'm kind of married to this program right now. Whereas I didn't get that job. Now I got to kind of find a different alternative route instead of just working at 12 different schools as an adjunct. It's, you know, you work your butt off to play and to get these degrees, you got to keep playing. So it's been cool how it's worked out and how it is working out. I'm excited to see where it goes. It's a different way of thinking um, because for uh, well, I'm, I'll hold off what I want to say because I want to ask you specifically when you are, um, what you like, what you said you presented at Miami of Ohio, and then you mentioned this guy Jeff Calissi. Like I'm supposed to know who that is. Just kidding. I just like giving Jeff a hard time. Um, so, uh, but when you were presenting about being a young artist, what kinds of things were were part of that presentation? It's so cool because I'm already in such a different spot than when I gave that presentation in September. Like everything's just been doors open. So then it was like, here's what I'm trying to do. Here is the goal. Okay. I did not win a job. I applied to every job under the sun the last three years. It didn't happen. Okay. So how do we keep moving forward without getting beat down by the fact that why am I not getting a job? You know, it can be very, uh, not depressing, but just like, what, what's the issue? Right. So anyway, okay, we're just going to close that door for now. Let's see what we can do. So just making yourself diverse. It's 2021 or now it's 2022. If you don't have a YouTube, why don't you have a YouTube? If you're not putting yourself out there on social media, why aren't you putting yourself out there on social media? You can't just expect for things to come when people don't know 
who you are or what you're doing or what you're about. So just kind of talking about here we are, what worked for my professors isn't going to work for me. What works for me isn't probably going to work for the next generation of students coming through. So just having to be constantly molding yourself while still staying true to yourself. I want to be able to play and teach, of course, um, to stay current in the times. I think the point of what worked for, this is kind of like what's important. I think it's important for faculty to realize like this too, people who've had jobs for a while is what worked for you is, does not mean it's going to work. I'm going to, I'm jumping off a little bit of what I, where I was intending to go next, but I want to know when you were at South Carolina, because that was your doctorate and that's your finishing degree. Was there, were you all talking about, it's like, do not do not think that for a sec that just because you're getting a doctorate, you're going to get a job. Like, was that was that said to you um, or was it like you had to figure that out because you didn't get a job? I think more towards the second. This isn't to say anything bad. of course. No, no, not at all. No. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah. Let me think. <laughs> yeah. It always felt like the ultimate goal of getting this degree was college job, college teaching, college job, tenure track. You made it. It doesn't matter if you live in Nebraska. It doesn't matter if you live in Canada. It doesn't matter if you live in Iowa. Not that any of those states are bad, um, but it doesn't matter where you Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter where you live. If you get that tenure track job, you made it. But at University of South Carolina, you have to give five recitals. So why am I busting my butt playing when the ultimate goal is to be teaching? So it kind of felt like a weird dynamic. So just being out of it and then COVID happening and having time to think really made me say, like, I worked really hard to perform. I should be out there trying to keep performing and not like I'm taking orchestral auditions. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. It trained us to be able to play a recital. So why am I not out there trying to play a recital and perform? So I think I'm using it now, like I said, to get this new route because the traditional, I got the doctorate, I get the college teaching job has not happened. And who knows if it will, you know, Right. but using that, what I got from the school now in this route of performing has been very beneficial. If I didn't have to give five recitals in the doctorate, I think I would have been a lot more stressed now trying to get rep in my hands. Whereas you give five recitals, you don't have time to think. Go play, make it happen, you know. I think that's that's really smart of you to to be thinking about realizing that what I've been trained to do is give recitals. Let me go give what? some recitals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as many places as possible. I would assume that you've talked to people who have been are, you know, recent doctorates or in their doctorate, um, whether at schools you played at or just you know, pace it or wherever. And I, I would bet that you, you're all like, it's easy to get depressed if you don't actually like the, I, it's very easy to see someone just being like, well, this was a waste of time. Yeah. It's really weird to see, like, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it matters. You have a doctorate, but on paper, how many other people have the same degrees right. and a panel of people hiring went to school with someone that went to school with the degree you have. So yeah, it's a, I try to just 
my dog is a big part of it. I talk about her a lot, but just in terms of mental health, like she gets me out of this, you know, oh my God, I didn't get a job. What am I going to do mode? Cause she's awesome. So anyway, I could talk about her all day, but just staying healthy. That's part of it too. Not getting bogged down with, okay, that's 15 rejections in this semester. What do I do next? You know? So where I was originally going to go about the the part-time thing is that this is a, the model for um, for the, the part-time stuff is actually frequently is kind of best seen in places that have like music business or a place like Berkeley College of Music in Boston where it's it is adjuncts. But the reason that it's all adjuncts is because those people have careers um, like they're performers primarily and the teaching thing is just kind of a, a part of what they do, but it's not their main thing. They may be or they may be run a, a studio or be, you know, music producers or their tour, pe- you know, whatever. But so that's like the model that that like you're almost taking that model where you're saying, you know what, actually, my prime thing right now is the is performing as much as possible. And this teaching thing is 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 helping me maybe get to the next step. But you're kind of putting it in two separate camps some way. Yeah. I think that's spot on. Like I'm thinking, I mean, that's so Lee it's what you're saying is so Lee. Like there are several, somebody like our um, drum set teacher, Tom, Mm. he lives in Nashville and he was the drummer for Tracy Lawrence, the country artist for years. And he actually just um, stepped away from that position to spend more time with family. But I mean, he's a prime model of that. So that is definitely the goal is I'm out there playing, but then I also am teaching as well, but not this idea of teaching is the hierarchy, ultimate goal. You've made it. We can have both, or we can have this one way a little bit more performing for now and then see what happens on the road. Yeah. I, and I mean, for you, you are still, I'm going to assume still like applying for jobs when, when they like, that is still at this point, is that still kind of the, the plan? Well, I, I, the last one I applied for would have been um, Penn State, whenever that was open. Oh, yeah, Not yeah. This fall, last fall, so I haven't. Um, okay. I've been keeping my eye out. There's like one I heard about, maybe I'll apply. But I don't feel like now I have to be like, oh, a job's open. I got to get my application in. Whereas I did feel that way prior to this past year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of just, and that's also helped with just your health of you apply, you get so excited, you might get it. You never hear back from them. You find out who got it. Months later, you get the rejection letter. Yeah. So I think if you get one, come if on, you get one, right? <laughs> True. So I think, yeah, I've kind of stepped aside from getting myself out there with the teaching jobs because mm-hmm. I feel happy with where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Great. So let's now talk a little bit about the mental health part because, and the health. So you and I, um, Jeff had been the person, I think, who had told me uh, to get in cut, touch with you. Then I realized that we were both on the health and wellness committee for PIS. And I was like, oh, hey, like, you know, and then we talked more at PASIC, obviously. Um, but I want to know what um, what was driving you to be to want to be part of that committee? Yeah. So it goes all the way back to undergrad. I went to University of Florida. And my dear friend, his name is Ivan Track. He told my friend Colin and I, you're going to audition for drum corps with me. And I'm like, what? What is this thing? So we auditioned for Boston Crusaders and we made it life changing. I mean, I have a whole like 
everyone should march drum corps mentality just to get the experience as a human and as a musician. But anyway, even though I was in the pit, pit always gets a bad rap. I got in really good shape. You're loading those instruments on the truck all day, every day. You get jacked by the end of summer. So I came back to University of Florida and I said, you know what? I want to keep this going. So I got certified through the American Council on Exercise and Group Fitness. And then a year later, um, PTA Global, which is now NASM for personal training. And then just went full force after that. In my master's, I was working all over in fitness. And then in my doctorate, I got two Les Mills certifications and a Schwinn certification and everything's still current. Wait, wait, so, what's, the, what's the less, what's, which Les one? Les Mills. So uh, this is a company based on New Zealand that does group fitness. So one is body pump, oh, yeah. which is, yeah. And one is grit, which in, which is high intensity interval training. Mm-hmm. So I have those two. Um, and yeah, it's just been amazing to see if I look back how big a role working in fitness was to me as a musician, like to, in terms of actually mental health, like I was in the practice room and then I was at the gym with people that don't know what I do. They know I'm some sort of musician. They don't know what that means though. It just, yeah, changed my life to have this clear mental break that got me away from the school of music, got me away from practicing. And it's just, uh, yeah, I think everybody should really start looking at physical health a lot more in terms of mental health. Cause I think people separate the two and a lot of times they're a lot closer together than we think. Yeah. So that's how I said, Oh, I, I should be on this committee too. So here we yeah. go. <laughs> well, you, we had, when we were talking at PASIC, you were very appreciative of this, of the mental health focuses that, that is going on within, within this committee. But you were also like, we really need to have a strong, like physical health portion of this too. And, and in a way that's not, you know, the, I mean, and I, this is not a slam on, on Darren Workman and, and all the, all the articles he's put out over the years about, um, you know, you know, basically like hand health and, and all that stuff. But it was, it was like, that's not the only form of health of physical health that's actually useful. And we weren't highlighting that. Last year when COVID was still pretty primary, I did a lot of presentations on how to stay healthy in general in terms of physical health. And one of the things is, you know, exercise. And a huge part of exercise is you get away from the school of music. If you go into a practice room, I mean, let's just pick down the line. One person's going to be chugging Mountain Dew. One person's going to be on their 12th cup of coffee. You might have students that are taking smoking breaks, you know, like it is not in terms of just the whole world, the healthiest place you can be. It's competitive. It's you better be in here, eat, breathe, and sleep music. How can we, you know, make ourselves healthy people? And a huge part of that is structuring time. If I'm in the music school for eight hours a day, am I really being productive? If I'm in for this three hour block and then I go work out and then I come back and do some homework and then I go walk my dog, I'm probably going to be a lot more productive and my mental health might benefit from that as well. And that's, and part of that was dug into because when you were doing, when you were teaching fitness classes and I've never, I've never done that, but from what I tell, it's like whenever you can fit it in. So it's like, if there's a Thursday at three o'clock class that's available for you to teach, that's the class. And I got to work everything around that. Right. 
Yeah. Um, so a lot of times like at USC, it was semester based. So like I taught a Friday, 7am body plumb class for like a year and a half. And it was awesome. And you start to get to know these people and they know you, but it's still this different relationship than I just got to talk about percussion. I'm just going to talk about music. I got to get ready for this, 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 no, what are you? Oh, you're going to this really cool concert. Oh my gosh. Like I know someone that plays in their band, you know, like different, just getting my son different. plays, my son plays drums. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. your son. Please tell me, you know, it's just, yeah, I think it's, I'm all about, let's just get some more experiences, meet more people at extrovert group fitness too. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, okay. So going, so going back to the, the drum core thing, you were realizing that when you were, when you were on the tour, you started to actually like your, your, you could tell your body was starting to change, right? Like, is that where, like, is that where part of it happened that you realized that like, oh, if I actually make this a focal point, I'm starting to see some results that I like. Yeah. And I think just this idea of, so I marched in between my sophomore and junior year and then junior and senior year. So in between the sophomore and junior year, like if I look at the first two years of college, I mean, I was at University of Florida. It's a 50,000 student school. You can easily just get in the mix and no one cares, you know? Uh, So I think just this idea of I could not get myself on a good routine, a good schedule, good structure. And here comes drum corps, bam, like you are structured. I think I just wanted that in my daily life. And I wanted exercise to be a priority. I wanted to be at the gym. I wanted to meet different people at UF. And here come this call for an audition to be a group fitness instructor and get a certification through ACE. So I was like, yes, let's do it. Let's see what happens. What were the very, so you said body pump, were you doing, um, were there like aerobics classes and what were the, what were all the different classes that you got certified for to do? ACE is just a general group fitness. You can teach like just general, any sort of aerobic. Um, You could do like high intensity interval training. So that's what UF I did. And I also did cycling, even though I got later certified in Schwinn and then personal training as well. So that opened a lot more doors because it's a more intense um, certification to get than group fitness. Which one is? The personal training. What's right? How do you get certified? What do you have to do? Well, we were very fortunate at UF. It was kind of like a mentor shadow program. So you're in like a semester long course and you meet twice a week and you have all the materials throughout the time, PTA Global. And at the end, you take this test with a proctor. um, And that's how you, if you get certified, that's how you uh, get to be able to work in a gym legally with certification, always be on the lookout for people that aren't certified. And then every two years, you renew it with doing continuing education credits. So what is the, is that test a written test or is it a? It's multiple choice. Yeah. On a computer, like, here we go. SAT. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> With like time limits and everything. And yeah, uh-huh. it's time. Yep. <laughs> I didn't know if you had to do like, uh, you had to rescue someone from a, from like a, a, a heavy barbell or something like that. or now, To get the job at UF. Yeah. Yes. We had to oh, do stuff did? like that. So how would you write a program for this person? Mm -hmm. Um, What is this person doing wrong in their form? How could you correct them? What are some cues you can give? How can we say safety is huge? Yeah. A little bit of everything. Yeah. Do do you just say like laps and push-ups, and then you just move on to the next thing and then laps and push-ups like that solves everything. That could work. (laughs) 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 Yeah. It was great. Um, Great training to be able to come to Tennessee 
and just go work at the Y, work at a personal training studio and work at Lee. I was working at three gyms in my master's all from that UF training, great rec sports program. So, yeah. Now, I, I, I understand this part, but I do want to hear your version of it, which is doing all of this physical training that you've done over the years. How has that turned into being really important for your mental health? Two things. What I was saying before, this idea of I'm wasting time. If I'm just chilling here with no time limit, I am probably not super focused. Uh, and when I really realized that was when I got my dog, she put me on a, you know, you march drum corps and then it's, you know, five, six years later, you might be like coming off that structure. She got me back on that structure. I have a three, four hour block. It's time to take her for a walk. I have another three, four hour block. Okay. She needs some sort of exercise. She's a border collie mix. So she's very, um, here, I can show you real quick. You hey puppy. <laughs> I am not interested in being on your podcast. <laughs> but she got me on a really good structured routine. And I think the other part of it is, and this is what I am really starting to notice and starting to be just like, what is happening? And once again, comes back to drum corps is technique. If you do not take time to work on your technique when you're a younger student, when you get to the point where you do have the option to go out and play recitals and you got to put together multiple programs, you might be setting yourself up for injury down the road. If you have something hurting in your hands, don't keep playing. If I'm at the gym and something's hurting, I don't keep lifting. You stop. So this idea of bringing all the health that you've learned throughout the years into your practice, making sure you warm up, making sure you've worked on technique, making sure you're maintaining technique taking breaks. I mean, there's just, I think people just say, I got to play the rep and here we go. And then that's where they get to the point where they get hurt and they can never play again. So yeah, I could go on and on about technique and then back to drum core and then technique and back to drum core and all putting it together. Right, well, <laughs> well, like on the drum core side, 12, I mean, what's the, it's like 10 to 12 hours a day of, of practice, yeah. right? Right. I think it got what you have to do with drum corps if you want to be a concert musician is you have to transfer it. So if we spent eight hours a day doing single rotation, literally on a mallet for five days in a row, I can spend 30 minutes, you know, isolating this and making sure I have good technique. Taking that idea of I've broken it down to this level to keep myself moving efficiently and playing with correct technique. How can I do that later with my rep and not lose that mentality of I'm not just going to play it. I want to play it with really good technique as well, because technique will help me bring out the music even more. You know, in that setting, I don't know if I've asked this, but like mentally, what what are you building as well? Because obviously it's one thing to just be playing for 10 to 12, however long, but you actually but the focus part has to be part of all that as well. Yeah. I think it really taught me, um, we're going to spend what, like three months on this 12 minutes of music and try to perfect it. Did I ever play a perfect show? Probably not, but just this mentality of I'm going to dedicate this amount of time to get it to this level. Even if the best is right here, I'm going to get as close as I can. It's hard to not bring that into your playing later in life once you've experienced that. So I'm really glad I did because it's not just let's throw it together. Let's make it happen. It's we're going to break it down to as little as I can 
and then build myself up and try to come out with this awesome product in the end. So I'm just really thankful for everything Drum Corps gave me and that I can transfer into the concert world. Cool. All right. Well, let's back up. Caitlin, so where did you grow up? Oh, I'm from Cocoa, Florida, which uh, everybody says, oh, Cocoa Beach, Cocoa Beach. So yeah, Central Florida, East Coast, right by the Space Center. That was the main thing. Disney World down the way. Super wait, wait, awesome. So, so, okay. So I have family in Cape Canaveral. So, okay, so, but, so but Cocoa Beach is next to Cape Canaveral, but Cocoa is in a different part, right? Cocoa's okay. So it's in Florida, like kind of curves. Mm-hmm. Cocoa's right. Then there's a river. Then there's Merritt Island. Then there's a yeah. river. Then Merritt, oh, yes, uh-huh. the mainland. My grandma says, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Cape Canaveral. That's it. Yeah. Nice. Um, so yeah, I, I haven't. Sadly, I haven't been out there in, in many years. But but it used to be. That was because because of my it was my it's it is still my mom's sister, so like okay. so we were really close to that family, so we would go down a lot um, to see them. So, um, what uh, did you have family in the arts? Um, my aunt on my mom's side, she was a middle school band director for majority of her career, and otherwise, not really. My dad's sister, my other aunt, she definitely plays piano and plays at church, um, more in the if you think church chord structure mentality. So, yeah, otherwise, no, my parents know music at all, they're just music lovers. And it was you're gonna go to school, you're gonna play a sport, and you're gonna play piano. So, that's kind of how my brother and I got into music forced <laughs> but sure, I'm something yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to go that's how it has to go sometimes Caitlin <laughs> no I'm I was I always loved it we had great teachers growing up I feel very fortunate to have my piano teacher and my percussion teacher growing up so it was great so at what point was did the percussion portion start in middle school so we, my mom very structured Uh, which is part of where I probably like need structure because my mom, she said piano starts at eight and then you can pick another instrument in middle school. So I picked percussion and my little brother picked violin. Was the, so it was concert focused um, Mm -hmm. to begin. Were you doing drum set as well? Yeah. With my um, high school, middle school teacher, we did a little bit of drum set, but it was definitely like, let's get ready for all state. Let's get ready for all county type playing. Let's learn some formalit stuff, more concert. Okay. So how, how early were you actually getting to do formalit stuff then? I want to say we started maybe in eighth grade, Oh great! but I don't, I mean, I don't consider anything pre-drum core to be like, truly playing four mallets for myself personally so Uh exposed maybe around eighth grade exposed yeah (laughs) it's like i could i could put them in my hands and that was as much as i could i could be feel confident about yeah (laughs) high school middle school in the general core curriculum was in steel band and he was a yeah, he was a percussionist and he started a steel band at our school. It was called Space Coast Steel. And I mean, it really opened the doors because it didn't matter where you started. We're moving. Here we go. You know, it wasn't like, OK, let's play our B flat scale. It was like, you better be practicing. This is happening. And so it was really cool because a lot of us from Space Coast went to UF and we all were in steel band together at UF. So it was like literally a decade together of playing 
I mean, where else could that happen when you're that young? It was really cool that we had that at our school. And in Florida, it's very popular to have steel band. You realize that how rare that was now, right? Like, yes. When I like when I came to Tennessee was the first time I didn't play steel pan um, ever. And I was like, okay, I guess this chapter of my life is kind of done, which is sad. But then I went to South Carolina and they had a steel band. It was kind of getting more and more in the state in South Carolina. And uh, then coming back here, I worked at another school last year and they got a whole steel band. So it's just, it's becoming more popular. And it's like, man, I'm so thankful to my middle high school teacher. Mr. Anderson is his name. Shout out to him. He's awesome for giving us this gift of a totally different culture and something that a lot of people never get exposed to in their musical careers. So it it sounded like you alluded to this, that you were, were you also playing sports in in high school? Yeah. um, I ran cross country my last two years, which was, yeah. (laughs) A little bit after then, I haven't really done it that much since, but that I think was another thing with mental health was, I mean, if you're on a long run, you know, clear, it literally clears your mind. So I really did love it then, but I'm just thinking now, like haven't run in a very long time, but cycling, uh, doing any sort of indoor cycling, I think kind of transfers to that mentality of you're stuck on this bike. You're going to clear your mind, you know, endurance. I always loved endurance things. Mm -hmm. I think that comes back once again, drum corps, that's endurance, right? Yeah. For the, for cross country, how much were you expected to run every week? I mean, it was pretty crazy. I, I, it's a lot. I know. I'm, I'm, do you remember the number? I don't remember the number. I remember Monday and Wednesdays were our long days. So that would probably be like six miles plus. And then Tuesday, Thursday were sprint days. And then Friday was like a taper down. And then Saturday was a race. And then Sunday was off. And this was during March event season. It's always in the fall. So I mean, yeah, I look back at my parents like, what the? I guess, you know, we're up at five and we're going to bed at 12 if it's like a marching band day. (laughs) So it's crazy. But I, I, that was another time. I mean, maybe that's where it started. Now that we're talking about it, where I had this group of friends that knew nothing about marching band. And I had my marching band friends that know nothing about cross country. And I kind of liked being in both worlds. Yeah. Always getting out of one and into the other, back and forth and just clearing your head. What's the length? What's the race length? Is it 5K? It was 5K when I was in high school. It was always 5K. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. We, I, when I was in, when I was in college, we, they had a, like a, um, like a meet the athletes mm. panel or something like that, which was kind of fun to just kind of have that and talk about this, like their life and schedules, um, as a fellow undergrad at that point. And, uh, the, 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 whoever was the, the cross country representative was hilarious. Cause he'd be like, someone asked, um, you know, if people like, cause there were football players on, on it and, Football player, like division one football players, they're usually pretty big. Well, we'll put it that way. (laughs) And you know, because you went to Florida, like you're usually pretty big. So, um, but but the guy, the cross country guy, they would be like, you know, do people just assume that you play the sport that they are going to say you do? And the cross country guy was, I will, I want to jump in with this answer. No, (laughs) no one walks in and says that dude runs cross country. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> so I, I figured like you probably have that little bit of things like, do you know that I'm cross country star? Are you aware? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely wasn't a star. <laughs> I did it. I did it. 
<laughs> yeah. So and the other thing is that they had the like the football player asked the cross country guy was like, okay, p- tell him how much you you all run a, a week, and it was like. It was something like ninety to hundred over a hundred miles away. Okay, I was thinking at least sixty plus. Yeah. No, it was it was outrageous. I was like, I don't even know, and I was just like, how? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. think about. So going to Florida was that? It sounds like you, you said that you had a, there were a lot of people that you knew going there because through the the steel band. Was it just kind of a that was the likely place you were going to go or had you looked elsewhere in the state or outside for undergrad? Oh yeah, definitely looked elsewhere. Um, where I'm from, Cocoa, Florida, it really feeds in really well to UCF, University yeah. of Central Florida commuter school. So, I mean, a lot of people I went to school with in high school went to UCF, Like my little brother goes there. Um, so just big connection there. So I, I applied at UF because it's a super academic school and I wasn't actually sure music was going to be my thing. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll get into UF. Got in and then it just was kind of a, it just happened that all of us ended up there from steel band. I mean, there were like, I think seven of us and at different age groups that were all there and we all wanted to keep that going in our life, that musical side of steel band. So it was awesome. And it was with Dr. Broadway, who's the percussion teacher. So it just made sense that I kept doing it too. Cause I mean, that's my teacher, you know? So yeah, it just kind of happened that it worked out that way. Yeah. And I recently had um, Danielle Moreau on. Oh yeah. She is, was like Dr. Broadway last semester or something. Yeah, yeah. I saw sabbatical. Yeah. Yeah. And um, she was saying that there's a, it's a, there's like a, a dual major aspect to yeah. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about that. That's huge at UF. It's kind of, you can get these two degrees in one. I'm not sure. Maybe it's like the equivalent of a BA in music, not exactly positive, but you can get that with your pre-med or with your engineering or with your um, pre-law that just, I mean, if you're going to put that dual degree on an application for an advanced degree in grad school, I mean, you're going to be looking pretty good normally. So a lot of people take that route. But you did not. No, I was performance. Okay. Uh, I did performance for all three. So pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Looking back, like, mom and dad, why <laughs> Why are you okay with that? Yeah. But they always told me, I mean, if you're going to do this, you got to go all the way. So that was always kind of in the back of my mind. Like, I'm definitely going to have to get some grad degrees. So yeah. they were excited when I added fitness to the resume as well. Kind of a safety net. Sure. Did you march at Florida? I did. I did my freshman year. I played the cymbals. Um, And just to, if anybody that likes sports is listening, it was the year after Tim Tebow left Urban Myers last year. So we were still kind of, you know, Florida football. Mm -hmm. We kind of went down after that, but uh, I only did it one year. It was, I definitely learned a lot. It was a good experience, but I found that it took up your whole life and it didn't necessarily make me a better musician. And then when I found drum corps, I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is definitely, you know, the marching route I'm feeling. So this is the yeah. way I want to, if I'm going to march this, I want to march in this format. Yeah. So I'm glad I had both though. Yeah. Definitely. What was the, what was the marching schedule like? Oh gosh. All I remember was that we'd be there at 6 a.m. on Saturdays, whether it was a noon game or a 7 p.m. game. We really? were there. 
Yes, I think they changed it the next year, but we were there at 6 a.m. like every Saturday. It was crazy. So you would have like if you had a night game, you would have this like early, early morning practice and then a break. Basically, yeah, and it was drumline. It was primarily drumline. I don't think the rest of the band did this. I think it was just us. Oh. Uh, so that was like, oh, my gosh. Um, I think we had Wednesdays off. So we had like three days of outside and one day inside. I, I'm, it's so long ago now. And I'm like, I don't even remember really doing it because you're also a freshman in college. And you're like, what is happening in my life? And all I remember is I would just sleep all day Sundays. Yeah. <laughs> Which still happens sometimes now. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Tell me a little bit about percussion studio um, and the kind of what was expected in terms of concert, like ensemble stuff with large ensemble percussion, all that. Yeah. So uh, I want to say we had like in the high 20s number of people there at UF and I mean, some of my best friends in the world were from that studio. So I, I love that that was part of the environment was it was a family. I mentioned Ivan before, like he's still one of my best friends. A lot of people did marching arts, which I loved. It was very like you came back from a summer of drum corps and everyone was like, how was your summer? Whether they marched or not, they were so excited to hear about it. Um, I was always heavily in the steel band. I did percussion ensemble a few semesters, but steel band was like my jam. I want to be in this. Let's go. So I did it the whole time. And in lessons, I mean, you give the classic junior recital. I shared it with my friend Colin and senior recital. And then we had some guest artists. We had Janice Potter and then we had Andy Hartsberger. So that's how I first uh, saw him was through a concert at UF. And then a few of us actually ended up going to Lee after that. So that was pretty cool that because he came, gave a recital, we actually ended up going to Lee. What kind of stuff in terms of uh, like solo lit were you playing at that point? Oh gosh. Uh, I remember like the last thing I played was Azure by Burrett, mm-hmm. uh, like on my senior recital and just more, um, Grad school audition focused, I think. I don't even know if I remember some of the rest of the stuff I played, like on a recital. I know I did one of the box suites. Mm-hmm. I don't remember which one. Yeah, it feels like a lifetime ago at this point, undergrad. <laughs> That's sad. I need to go back and look at my programs. I remember we did a Sejane duet, me and my friend Colin. That was oh, nice. Fun. Yeah. Nice. So even back then, like um, Marimba was kind of starting to take a precedence in my life without even realizing it. I think now that I'm looking back. Mm-hmm. Harnsberger comes, he, you have like, you get, get kind of interact with him and, and he's like, you know, I have room, I guess for, for people, for master students. Um, when you go there, are you, what do you have uh, TA responsibilities? At Lee, um, my second year, I did, and it was more like their assistantship wasn't weighted. They have revamped everything since I went there, essentially. Like my USC assistantship was way more responsibilities than my Lee one. It's just kind of um, helping out with whatever was needed, essentially. Like didn't teach percussion methods, wasn't teaching really, just kind of helping out run ensemble if needed type stuff. Um, so it's pretty low key, but it didn't cover tuition or anything. So it was a small stipend. So it kind of leveled itself out in terms of got paid this much. These are your responsibilities. Low key. Yeah. You better be practicing yeah. was the main <laughs> thing when I was there. Yeah. I, I always tell 
the grad student, the we and Mizzou, there's um, and I, I don't run the percussion. That's Megan Arns, but the um, but when I see I see the grad students and 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 I'm like, just a reminder, your job, and they already know this. This is not I'm not telling them anything they don't know about. Like your job as master students, it's practice. That's it. Yes. Like yes. You, you have like two classes. It's not that hard. Just it's practice. That's your job. My yes. job is to teach. I, if I'm practicing, it's because I I want to do it. Because <laughs> I want to still be deep, like not horrible, or, or try to be <laughs> less horrible at marimba. Is kind of the goal. But yeah, but for, I was like, for you all, get in the room. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's all. I feel like all I did yeah. back in that. Degree. But I'm glad. I mean, it, it definitely helped. <laughs> so, so how? In what ways were? Um, was Hornsberger similar, different than Broadway than those experiences? He was a lot different. So I kind of like look at my teachers, like the two extremes were UF and um, free. And then Dr. Herring is kind of in the middle of the two at USC. So that was kind of cool. Like I went from one extreme and then I'm kind of in the middle. Um, but yeah, I think Dr. Broadway has a much bigger studio. So it's a lot more responsibility. So it can't really be like, why aren't you practicing? Whereas Hornsberger will tell you, you know, you're in a master's degree. Let's go. You better be practicing. It was definitely more closer to what I experienced in drum corps with this idea of, okay, why isn't it at this level? Let's get it there. Come on. When I went to Lee. Lee was closer to, to drum corps. To drum corps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and was it, was there a difference in terms of um, like, how technique was taught in terms of what it was expected of you. I mean, obviously there's an expectation of the amount of practice. Yeah. But in terms of focus of practice. Yeah. I think UF was a lot more of like, what is your sound? How are you behind this instrument? What are you bringing to the table musically? And Lee was okay. Your left hand is not working correctly. You got to fix that. So um, putting those two together, I always tell people like, take all your degrees and put them together. And that's, you know, what can you take from them each one? And that's you, you know, as a musician. So I think bridging those two things together really helped. Mm-hmm. That was my dog. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you heard yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> no more music. She says. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of like ensemble stuff, what was available for you at Lee that may or may not have been available at Florida? Percussion ensemble was definitely expected. So at, at UF, at Lee, yeah, at UF, it was, you can be in one. I forget the amount of credits. Like you had to have a certain amount of credits. But at Lee, it was like, you better be in percussion ensemble. So we got to, what also was cool was more weight on guest artists. Mm. So at UF, it was definitely like, you're in the ensemble, we're playing chamber music, here we go. And at Lee, it was more, well, we will play chamber music, but you're going to be in a trio and we're going to bring in Burrett or Blackstock or Dr. Herring, and you're going to play with them. So I mean, the amount of guest artists that came in when I was a student at Lee was kind of crazy. So it was cool to meet all these people that are, you know, these big wigs in percussion performance and get to play with them. Is that how you met Scott Herring? It sure is. <laughs> yeah, he came my first semester at Lee, and uh, he started talking about USC right then and there. Got to start thinking about doctorate school, and so then you know it was on my list, and got the assistantship, and so I went to USC. I don't know. I don't totally know Broadway's background, 
in terms of like what his focus, but I mean, Harnsberger is quite well known for marimba. Yeah. And so what was it, what was it like to kind of see, and he's very well known for, for playing a lot too. Mm-hmm. So what was it like to kind of be around that? It was like, okay, here's someone that's doing it. If that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. Dr. Broadway is like full tenure professor. Like he has made it in terms of being a professor. Harnsberger at the time um, wasn't tenured and the, Focus was always playing. Like when I went to doctorate too, it was like, okay, we're back to thinking about teaching. So it's interesting, like how every school and just maybe what's realistic, they push you in a different direction. So I think with Harnsberger, it was like, you can do it, but you're, it's going to be really hard. You're going to have to bust your butt. You're probably going to be broke for a while. And the other two teachers, it's definitely, I mean, if you get this college job, you're set. So how can we kind of meet in the middle? And like I said, putting all three degrees together try to just be Caitlin, figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you. Yeah. So um, I'll ask the same question, even though I, I stumped you on the, the Florida. Do you remember some of the lit you played for your masters? The big thing I played was Burt variations. That was oh, really yeah. exciting. Cause I got to play it in a master class with Burt. Burt came down twice in my time at least. That was really awesome to get to play it right with him. Um, that was the huge marimba piece. And then I played this other piece called Tangarilla by Gareth Farr, um, like my first year at Lee. And I got to play that. I went to Zeltzman Marimba Festival in the midst of my master's and played it there. And that was really fun. Met two Mexican dances, Stout. And then Snare Drum and Timpani, it was all geared towards DMA auditions. And just how can you get your hands just to the best level we can get them before you go on. So once again, I mean, Marimba took over without even realizing it. So when you say you're getting ready for auditions, that you you were saying, are you playing? You're are you playing excerpts? Or are you playing like Carter and Tompkins and like? Oh, it, so, so a lot of yeah, like Delacluse um, mm-hmm. excerpts, and then I mean, a lot of time on snare drum technique and timpani technique. How can we get it? If marimba's here, how can we get your snare drum timpani technique to that level as well? Got it. So it wasn't very uh, a musical journey in the masters. It was definitely a technique. <laughs> Let's get it up. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the dog's podcast is filming after. So. Yeah, she's ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when are you going to be done, Caitlin? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> If, I, if I've kind of got this right, you don't take a break between any of the degrees. Or are you going straight through? I went straight through and I definitely felt severe burnout the first year of my doctorate, like okay. severe. Yeah. And so that's actually when I got my dog was a week before my first DMA recital. And it's, <laughs> you know, let's see what happens. And it was the best decision I could have made. Well, so it worked did, out. Okay. We're going to, I'm, I'm going to get back to that. So yeah. Were you, when you were applying for DMA programs, um, was, was, was South Carolina like you, you was like a best offer. This is kind of the thing or had you, were you, were you selecting from a few different schools? It was between uh, USC and UK. Um, UK didn't have any money. And then USC, I got the full assistantship. So USC is, here we go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. And uh, so similarly, I mean, you've kind of, you were, you laid this out a little bit, but what was kind of similar, different 
and you think of also I'm thinking more also along temperament too, but like similar different with with Herring versus Broadway and Harnsberger. Herring's kind of in the middle, I think, with temperament. Um, so like Broadway is just so nice and um very like calm demeanor. You know, Harnsberger can be intense and let's get it done. Come on, let's make it happen. And I think Herring's in the middle. Here is my teaching. I'm a professor. Let's go. And just very put together always on it, um, very organized. So I think seeing that now that I am teaching some at Lee was huge for me. Like he always has a Google doc for all his students. I always have a Google doc for my students, like just seeing how he works things in terms of tech and being organized was, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. And he's really good. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I Dr. Aaron's story, like, I mean, he did so much while I was in my degree with teaching. He had a ton of students. And then I saw him play several times after I graduated. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're like amazing. I wish I had seen this more when I was studying with you. It was just so funny. Like, dude can play. Yeah, if, anyone, yeah. if anyone didn't go to the Simpatico concert, I mean, at PASIC, yeah, that group of people is next level. Yeah. And they're just there for fun, playing together. I mean, it's awesome to see. Yeah, Dr. Herring. <laughs> what was the assistantship? That's so um, my first two years, I had redid the whole library of percussion music, which was like scores. I mean, I mean, there were scores from like the 50s. Like, how can we organize this? Hasn't been redone ever. Put in a catalog. And being in charge of this thing called percussion players. So freshman percussion ensemble. Okay. And then my last year, it transitioned to teaching methods, percussion methods. Got it. And throughout the time, you always had at least one student, private lessons. So you say you have a, you hit a wall. Um, yeah. How did that, you get the dog, that helps. But prior to that point, how is that manifesting itself? It was awful. Uh, yeah. So um, got done with the master's and this should have been a sign, but the summer after my master's, I did not touch a percussion instrument, like didn't do anything. And so I get to the doctorate and it's just like, oh my gosh, like this is, I'm not doing anything harder than a master's. Like, what is the point? How can you tell me I have not taken enough music history credits yet? How can you tell me I don't have enough theory classes under my belt? And I think it all just hit me. Like, what is the goal of this? I'm getting into my twenties now. Like people I know have careers, they're set up, they're doing stuff. And I just feel like I'm just like floundering in music. And it, I would be at the school of music for like eight hours and just feel like I wasn't getting anything done. And so I just got to the point where I was like, I, I don't care about any of this. Uh, it's not for me. I think I'm ready to throw in the towel here. Talked to a lot of people about it. And everybody was telling me, you know, just be done with it. It's all good. And my parents said, you've always wanted a dog. Why don't you see if that helps? Just see what happens. So I got her and just to be on a schedule, just to have structure, just to realize I was wasting time to put everything in perspective. You have four hours, make it happen. I mean, it just was a 180 from where I was. So I think I, there's good and bad to going straight through. I don't know if I would have gone back if I hadn't gone straight through. But I mean, I think everyone will probably hit some sort of wall if they do go straight through. Yeah. Now, not to say that doctorate doesn't get to the point where it feels like a doctorate because that third year comes and hits you across the face and it's insane. But the first two years just felt like, oh my God, I'm in my master's, you know? More classes, give a recital, more classes, give a recital. So yeah, yeah. but third year. 
Well, it's I, I've I've I mean, you could I'm, I'd be curious your answer on this. I feel like a lot of times the masters is a continuation of of the of the undergrad in a lot of ways. Um, I see. I felt like undergrad was here, and then masters and doctorate were together. Okay. So I feel kind of opposite. Yeah. Like there's a huge leap from undergrad to master's, but then master's to doctorate. I was like, oh, I thought this was going to be really insane. And it did get to that point. But at the start, I think I was expecting insanity from the beginning. And it was kind of like ramped your way into it, if that makes sense. Okay. No, it does. Um, was some of that because the 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 schools were so different from your undergrad to your master's? Was that something? Yeah. That- I think so. And then um, from master's to doctorate, I mean, I'm studying with Herring and Harnsberger, who now are both Malatech artists. So it wasn't like their school of thoughts were extremely different either. So I think that was part of it. Sure. Like, yeah, I know I heard that before. Yeah, I know I heard that. But I mean, they're super different in terms of people. And there are a lot of different things they bring across in playing and teaching. But I think just a general idea of this school of like Lee Stevens lineage I think it just felt like more of a continuous okay I'm on year four of this (laughs) but then like I said the last year the TMA hits you and it's like what's happening right oh I have to like get a job (laughs) well that and yeah paper and comps and still recitals yeah it was crazy and yeah try to apply for jobs yeah I, the way that just so just for further clarification, I, I, the reason I think of it, of of the master's and doctorate differently is that you, the, the doctorate to me, it's like, you have to, and maybe this is what you realized is that you have to, you have to want a doctorate. Like, I mean, you need, you'll, you, you probably will need it if you want to teach college, but like, there's nothing that anyone could tell you during a doctorate aside from the fact that you have to be like, all right, I'm going to do this. Uh, and it's like you, and you better, you better have the, um, the want and the know-how to do that. That is so true. Yeah. Like no one's going to tell you at that stage, why aren't you practicing? No one's going to tell you, I don't have your document. You're not going to graduate and get this degree. No one cares. There's, you know, you're a fully formed adult by this point, like get it together. So that's so true. What you're saying. I totally get it. Yeah. I've definitely ran into, and I'm, I'll speak for myself. I, I took a semester off in between okay. master's and doctorate. And for the reason, like I just needed a break. And I've definitely talked to people who have gone through, who realized that like they had to kind of get it together like you did yeah. um, in the midst of it because they probably needed a break, but didn't take one. So that's why, you know, the, those kinds of things. Yeah, that's so true. And looking back, like, I, I mean, if I think about it, like it was that whole first semester, I was just like, what am I doing? So right. essentially the semester off, <laughs> don't, don't tell anyone. No. <laughs> <laughs> <Made it through. laughs> well, but I mean, it's, it's, it's important though, to, to think about these things because that's, you know, if we, if we care about mental health, like this is one way we should care about it is why might someone go into a doctorate unless they've been programmed from the beginning that like they, they, they meet their college professor, like semester one of undergrad and they're like, that's what we do. Yeah. It's man. I think this is something that I was thinking on when I gave that Miami university presentation, this idea that 
a lot of us, like my age group and anyone that's gotten a doctorate recently, I mean, we'll probably never fit in the cookie cutter mold of we did get the doctorate and we did get the job eventually. Like we're going to have to find some other way to get income, to get ourselves out there, to get any sort of performing or teaching recognition. I mean, you've got to be diverse in some aspect. So I think that needs to be brought up more in your education. I don't think it is like no one told me, you know, Oh, YouTube could be a great way for you to make it happen. No one said like, Oh yeah, you can go give a recital. They just said, no, you have to play snare drum timpani marimba on your recital. You have to apply to this college job. Look at what I'm doing. It'll all work out. And it's like, um, it's not working out. So yeah, I think it's, I don't know why it's not talked about in terms of like more entrepreneurship classes, or maybe you should be required to take some sort of entrepreneurship classes. I'm seeing it music business. They have to take it, but what about the classical route? Like how many students walk out and win an orchestral job or a teaching job? Like, yeah. yeah. This past semester I, I taught, um, the first time they had they had it offered as a semester course, but career development for musicians. Yeah, and uh, and it's been great because because um, I've had people like your like your age or or sometimes uh, older or whatever um, who've talked about kind of different aspects of music careers. And do you know this book, Beyond Talent? I've heard of this book. I've never read it. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. I would I would recommend it to anyone um, because. It's very practical for one okay. and it makes you, and it's a good book to like get you to just think about, um, to, to realize that it's, that you have to right from the, from early on, you have to be very, very, um, clear about, you need to take care of all of these. If like, this is all part of your education, the, like, and part of it is, and I think you, and I know that you know this at this point is that it's like we there's a lot of everyone can play like right like in your doctor everyone can play so okay fine got it great it's like we're if that's not going to do it <laughs> then <Right>. what will <laughs> like <laughs> ah, i will say um just thinking about this something that i really admired and respected and am thankful for at usc was a you get to pick your history and theory classes. So let's say you need nine credits. You get to pick based on your entrance exam. So a lot of the professors I had were super progressive. So they did not just say, this is how it's been taught. We're going to keep teaching it this way. It was like one of them, his name is Danny Jenkins, had won this award for flipped classroom teaching, which is like, you know, this huge new phenomenon at the time. And just this idea of I'm doing it. We're changing. We're moving forward you're the next generation. What are you going to do? So I think having those classes and not even realizing how progressive they were, but now that I'm out of it, realizing like, let's move forward. Let's keep being diverse. I'm very thankful for. So now it's like, I got to figure it out for myself, you know? Yeah. Well, it, it, and the thing is this, the resources that are out there are so much better um, and easier to, to deal with. I mean, like you're mentioning oral skills, um, what do, what texts? Because I teach it. I teach it as well here. So. Oh no! <laughs> I, have, I, I have oral skills three and four. Um, Whoa! No, I'm level so, one. Level. <laughs> well, well. So, but what what texts do you all use for that? We use Karpinski. So, yes. um, do you use Karpinski? 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. So, so everything is horizontal. We're thinking in terms of music, not one, three, five. I have a Roman numeral court. Yes. So we talk about that. We have these meetings all the time about we're supposed to be musicians. Yeah. We're not supposed to be yeah. like, okay, I build vertically. We always want to be horizontal. Yeah. Okay. You get it. Yeah. Awesome. So the students at Lee, I'm like, you guys are so fortunate. This is your foundation of oral skills. Like, this is amazing. It's going to apply directly to everything you're doing. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Because the one of the, because I do use the inquisitives. I hope you you all do. We have the option. I use um, like the homework normally is the playlist. Oh, yeah. yeah. Playlist and then the sightseeing examples. I haven't dove into inquisitive very far. So it's, it's really good. It's really good. Okay. Uh, because it, it's and it, it's definitely something that you could do mindlessly, but that you but uh, it's not. But if you did it mindlessly, it would take you like seven hours. So it's like okay. it's actually like it does. It's better off if you actually try like to figure right, it out. Right. But but it's good because it's it's just kind of like computer practice, and it's like they they give you very specific. Sometimes it's drill stuff, um, and then sometimes it's applied. So you're doing dictation, you're doing it on the on the screen, but you you have play, like you have access to the playback as much as you need, and okay, um, yeah, it's good stuff. I would I would definitely recommend it. Um, it's a portion of what they do for the the guy who the person who oversees our theory stuff here. Peter Lee is tremendous. Um, he's okay. incredible, and so he's like really thought very seriously about how to how to apply uh, theory to much more um, useful you know, uh, practical knowledge. Right. Real world. Yeah. You know, like, like, you know, one of the cool things is just, is, you know, they have to do the, they have to frequently, whatever we're talking about in class, they have to find it or they get like, you know, like it's like five things and they're like, find one of these things in, in a piece that you're working on as an applied student, that kind of thing. That's great. So Oh, oral skills. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I never thought I'd be teaching it either, but I, never, I'm, I'm, never. I'm, I, but I actually like, I really like it now. I, I kind of like. Yeah. I certainly have learned a lot just in general about teaching from being yeah. in the classroom setting. Like here are 20 students that are in all levels, all instruments and voices. Yeah. Right. Figure it out. USC, you said that you had to do fire recitals. Was there a final, was there a document part part as well? Yeah. So it was five recitals, which they just changed. I found out. I was like, oh my gosh, now it's four and a 30 minute jury. So okay. I was like, back in my day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We had to do recitals and a paper and a, and a book, you know. Right. <laughs> so it was um, five recitals. They say it's a document. So I think mine is like 120 pages, something around there. Uh, your comprehensive exams and then a language requirement, which... My third year, they offered a statistics class in lieu of language because ideally statistics could help you assess populations for your document okay. um, research. So you better believe I was the first person in that class. So yeah, um, a lot of stuff. So by the third year, I mean, that's a lot at the tail end. Yeah. One more recital yeah. comps in the document. Yeah. What was your, what was your focus for your document? Um, I wrote a paper on a marimba piece, Lucas Ligeti's Thinking Songs. 
So um, kind of a firsthand, he was awesome, amazing, the kindest person you could imagine in terms of interviewing, um, not necessarily an analysis, but just what's happening in this piece. And it led me down trails I never thought I would have gone down. So it was, I'm, like yeah, what? a good experience, actually. So I met with my theory advisor at the time, and he said, this is uh, cut and dry Schoenberg. This is bar talk. It's called an axis of symmetry. Like we laid everything out and it fit perfectly. I call Ligeti. He says, no, that's not it at all. It's actually based on African music. And you need to read these two books um, about the theory of African music by Kubik is his last name. So just how could it fit so perfectly in Western art music and then be something so different? It was just amazing. And just to talk with him and hear his background, I mean, next level composer and musician in person. So if anyone knows Georgie Ligeti, this is his son. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got it. Well, Super awesome. What, how did you come across the piece? Actually, it was because of PASIC. So PASIC 2016, it was, um, I believe, on the new music session. And it's five movements. And they had a different person play each movement. And I was most blown away by the third and fifth movement. And the third was played by Jihei Jung at PASIC. It's pretty good. It was just like, uh, yeah, pretty good. <laughs> it was just like, okay, something just happened in this piece. And I don't know what it is. And it's awesome. So let me just, you know, store it in the back of my mind. Yeah. And then it came time to write my paper. And I was like, I haven't heard a word about this piece since. Where is it? What happened? And it just turns out it's really difficult and so dense and amazing and awesome. And I just was like, I'm writing on this. So it, it was actually a really enjoyable experience. And I just recorded the third movement in May and it was released in December on YouTube. If anyone wants to check out what I'm talking about. So throughout the whole piece, he's blending European art music, what we think of as the invention and the fugue with West, uh, with African music, um, which, yeah, if you want to read about it, feel free to go to my paper, but it's awesome. <laughs> you can totally hear like different polyrhythms and how we interpret things as Western musicians versus how they're interpreting things, non-Western musicians. Yeah. Super cool. Well, when has anything been hard ever deterred any Marimbus? That's all I want to know. <laughs> I hope that more people will dive into this piece eventually. Because um, I think it, yeah, it can take us to the next level. Yeah. Keep progressing. Keep moving forward. I'm all about it. Caitlin, I finished with a segment called Random Ask Questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. First question is, first couple are not random. Um, but first question is, what's an issue in percussion education or percussion performance that most gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts? Uh, the first that comes to mind is technique. Um, and if a student is injured, are you guiding them down the correct pass? Yeah, I think music over technique. I think they should be a little bit closer together because eventually you're going to plateau if your technique is not at your musical ability. Okay, so technique in terms of your, that a student has built up enough so that one, they can perform music at the, you know, at, at a level that they're like mentally at, but also that they can not push themselves too far. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or um, are we just getting through rep and we're not addressing technique and now things are starting to happen and you might be leading them towards injury or themselves. They might be leading themselves towards injury. Yeah. Well, do you have students that you're, it seems kind of, I'm, I'm, it almost seems like this is a question that would make sense with someone who's like on the level like you and Andy 
are for marimba that you'd have people who just think that they can play whatever velocities merlin and you're like you were not oh yeah you were not there <laughs> right um at yeah it's been awesome to be at lee and just see like you must do these technique things before we go any further and if you don't do them then we're just going to be sitting here and we'll wait you know so yeah big emphasis on teaching technique and using technique correctly yeah and we're not skipping right because you skipped <laughs> yeah exactly yeah gotcha okay next question you take this wherever you want to go um being a percussionist is also a woman well i will say i think it's great i mean i don't I've only ever dealt with one like severe issue of being degraded for it, uh, which I feel very thankful for. I always want my playing to speak first. So I don't want to lead with it. I am happy I am a woman and being a percussionist and I hope to inspire others. But at the end of the day, I do want it to be this person played it the best, not she played it the best as a girl if that makes sense. Right. It's like the delineation between woman percussionist or... And percussionist who's a woman. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I I definitely want to be the second um, and playing lead the way. Definitely. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Other questions? Not as serious. Has anyone ever nailed an impression of you? And if so, how'd they do it? Oh, gosh. I don't know. <laughs> my mom, I guess, does really good impressions of me. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, like, because we're very similar, which is like, as I get older, it definitely is. So, oh my God, my mom does that same thing. What's <laughs> happening? <laughs> Probably just laughing loud or being loud in general or hands all the time. <laughs> yeah, a little bit too boisterous, maybe at times. Oh. <laughs> Extroverted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> Any of those things. This past Christmas, I, my mom was making hand motions that I do, like when she was talking oh, about no. something, and she did this one where it's like a, the hands go across the table, and I'm like, I do that all the time. <laughs> Shoot, <laughs> that's where it comes from. <laughs> yes, it's crazy, and I think as you see your parents, like you don't see them all the time now. Yeah, yeah. You see them a little bit less. You're like, oh my god, like. It's happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not supposed to happen. Yeah. Oh, hilarious. Just got to laugh. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. What is the most impractical item of clothing you own? Impractical? Maybe my graduation gowns. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I don't know what I'm wearing those again because I'm not a full professor, right? Not going to graduation. <laughs> um, I have a Harry Potter robe. I'm a big Harry Potter person. But I will wear that if any symphony concert or Halloween right. concert calls for it. Right. Or yeah. just a reshowing of any of the movies at the local. Oh, yeah, let's just, yeah, Harry Potter all the way. I have a big bookshelf of the books right over here, actually. Nice. All about it. <laughs> gotcha. Well, that, that's good. That leads into my next question, uh, which you could take in the Harry Potter sense, but you don't have to. But what's a what's a great movie? And then what's a terrible movie? Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, I love Harry Potter, of course. Yeah, yeah. My favorite movie is actually Book of Eli, if anyone's ever seen Book of Eli. Oh, is that that Denzel Washington one? Yes. So yes. Good. Yes, I think everybody should. Yeah, that definitely puts things right in perspective of what you think is hard or what you think is this is the end of the world. Yeah, I think it's 
And it's one of those movies you get to the end, you gotta, I've, I, first time I saw it, we, I was in a group, watched it. We watched it again. Cause the ending is just so like, <gasps> you gotta go back and re-see how in the world did this guy do this? Yeah. Awesome. A terrible movie. I am the type of person that if I don't get hooked in the first five minutes, it's getting turned off. So I'm not sure <laughs> I haven't withstood yeah. all the way to the end. So I can't think of any off the top of my head. Well, what's one that you turned off? Uh, well, I don't like Jim Carrey, if that narrows down. Oh, really? I, not I at all? Narrow. Yeah. Like any, I have seen like Jim Carrey movies where I just sit there and I'm like, I'm not going to get this hour and a half back, which is so mean to say. <laughs> I know. Wow. But yeah. Like, so, so like liar, liar. No. Yeah. <sighs> not. Okay. The one where he says, yes, man, where he says yes, yes. to every. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That one. Yeah. Not feeling What about it. Dumb and Dumber? I can't. I can't. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I know a lot of people don't like Will Ferrell, but like, I think he's hilarious. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause they're both kind of where it's like their first like five years or so. They've been like, it's like really hot comedy kind of stuff. Yeah. And then either they move, they switch or kind of comedy has shifted. And so it's, it's not, but like, yeah, if you like put on like, um, Talladega Nights or something. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so silly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, and like, just also, and obviously this is an audio podcast, but like when he's just, when the hands just come up, I don't yes. know what to do with my hands. <laughs> yes. I love comedy. So okay. yeah. Do what's, so do, what's a favorite just in that run? I, okay. Well, speaking of Bull Ferrell, if anyone's seen Kicking and Screaming, it's kind of, it was like a little bit lower key. Oh yeah. Um, Yes. We watched that as kids growing up with my parents. And it was just like spot on. So good. Um, I like, I do like Adam Sandler. Like my parents and I, we always watch like the wedding singer. Oh yeah. Blended. That was just on when I was out with my parents. Yeah. So definitely like comedy, like okay. to laugh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What about, uh, um, oh my, happy Gilmore. I, that one's a little bit too old. I think for me, I haven't oh, really? seen whole thing in entirety yeah okay how about Waterboy? that's in the same camp kind of yeah, sort yeah. of okay those are the ones that i like when i was in college like the, yeah. we're like we were just quoting that all the time that's so good that's awesome nice very cool okay um all right well you mentioned so you could you will we'll give this i'll ask for the harry potter version and then you can give me the if uh, outside of harry potter but favorite book so we'll start harry potter what's the best harry potter yeah i do love um harry potter i actually reread them two summers ago and i was so impressed with the fourth one goblet of fire because i don't remember it being awesome as a book i remember being like eh, it was okay and i actually really enjoyed it this time around yeah. um yeah. i actually saw this quote the other day that this is going to be depressing but it said something to the effect of like grad school can take away um, your not ability, but just your presence or enjoyment of reading. And I feel horrible because I really haven't read that much in the last like six years. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to blame it on grad school, of course, but I think just this idea of to sit and read versus to sit and practice, to walk the dog, to do this, do that, and this world of tech and moving fast and yeah, I think that is on one of my intentions. I've bought several books in the last like two weeks to read. So maybe in 2022, 
that'll be an intention for me. Yeah. But yeah, Harry Potter was the last thing I, I read. So I've been like last summer. We read. Nice. <laughs> well, I, I it's that I mean, most people want like if if I've mentioned Harry Potter or if it's come up, um, Goblet of Fire is almost always top of the list. And oh, I, think wow. my, okay. I think it's my I don't know where where if that's might be one of my favorite. I think I liked five as well. I, okay. Yeah. I remember when I first read them, three and six were my favorite. So I love the history and three of um, Marauders and, and six, just this idea of we finally find out why Voldemort is the way he is. Yeah, yeah. I, this could turn into a Harry Potter podcast. <laughs> I totally <laughs> am all about it. A hundred percent millennial. Let's be Harry Potter people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I gotcha. I, I think the, um, the, the third one, um, that's Azkaban, right? Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that was the first one, because I haven't asked you about the movies, but that was the first one where I was like, okay, I feel like they're now relatable people. Like I can, the first two, I felt like they were just like little kids and they're kind of getting into it. But the third one, it was like, all right, now they're starting to actually be people. And that's more interesting to me. Okay. Yeah. I was in the age group that they were in. Like I was like a year <laughs> behind so it was always like you kind of going with them and like when I reread six it's so funny I opened it up and there was the where you got your book at midnight that card was in the book so I was like this is so cool so I would have been in high school and they would have been in in high school quote-unquote by the time they're in six so that was pretty cool to see like man you really grew up with these characters did you watch the reunion special I haven't seen it yet okay so for your tissue yeah. yeah, it's great. So what's the so what's your favorite of the movies? Um, ooh, the movies. I loved six. Um actually my dad loves my dad loves to watch number one. So I think I, I like doing watching that with him. So fun, but I love six too. Okay. Just to go back and forth with um how did we get to where we are? Yeah. And it's getting really dark. Yeah. Have you ever seen the the Hermione um, the thing like it's it's a, I think I've seen it on Facebook where it's like the if the books were written from Hermione's perspective and the no oh my god it was it was awesome because it'd be like her, Harry Potter and the time I was a, a time lord um, and it was all like what if all of these had been written from the actual star of the Harry Potter books Hermione Granger Hermione. And, and it was great it was like. Yes. Like you realize, like she was actually. Everyone wants to be. You want to actually be Hermione, like. Yeah. She got them through. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Everything got done because of Hermione. Like, let's. That's so true. (laughs) (laughs) So, gotcha. Okay, so do you have a? And we've talked about sports, but do you have a sports fandom? Yeah. Um. This is with my mom and I. Massive Florida basketball. UF University. Oh, you have basketball. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not big into pro sports, mm-hmm. but basketball is like because when I was at Florida, their basketball team. I mean, Final Four like multiple times. Mm-hmm. So just so exciting to be at a game as a student and they're dominating. <laughs> like it was awesome. So we've held on to that and we try to go to games whenever we can, even though we're far apart now. So yeah, yeah. Well, there. It's weird. It's like they've been on the cusp a lot to get back to yeah. the final four in the last decade. Right. They just haven't, they haven't been able to close make it happen. Deal. Yeah. Yeah. 
so as a student, it was, yeah, like football was, like I said, it was a little bit going down. Was heading down, but basketball was. Yeah, but basketball, man, I mean, we had some star players like Patrick Young. When I was home a few weeks ago, my mom said, turn on the TV, turn on the TV. And Patrick Young was one of the sports analysts on ESPN. And we were like, oh, my God, like Patrick Young. So I was behind him at, in line at Subway one time and just like, oh, my God, I feel like I know him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we graduated ceremony like we totally know each other no <laughs> but right. yeah so just uh that was a cool place to be when florida was really good at basketball where is somewhere that you have not traveled to that you still want to get to i want to go to europe i actually haven't been out of america so i would love to get to europe obviously right now is not the time but hopefully sometime i mean in the next like five years ideally get over there and play that would be the ultimate goal right um but yeah, I would love to go over there. And speaking of, like, I would love to go to London and see the Harry Potter set. So that's, that's literally like I'm that far into it. But um, yeah, no, I'd love to go to Europe and also go to somewhere like Austria and just see all these places that music really started to take over the world. Yeah. If you have one, a go-to karaoke song. Oh, gosh. <laughs> A karaoke song. Oh no. Probably something from the eighties that everyone would know. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I've actually never done karaoke. I've supported a lot of friends in karaoke, but <laughs> made them do it because they're really good singers, but I've never done it. Have you done it? Yeah. We have, we have friends who, uh, who have like the machine that, um, yeah, okay, okay. That, that has like, so yeah, we, we're, it, it's like a, every once in a while it becomes like a, Let's pull it out and everyone's got to do it at least once. Or, and then there'll be the ones who do it like seven times. And you're like, just, right. we're good. We're good. Just yeah, go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. I'd have to think on that one a little bit more. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Um, your biggest, your biggest kitchen mess up. Oh God. Every time I'm in the kitchen, like that's like, <laughs> um, yeah, not domestic at all. Um, one time I forgot to turn the rice down from boiling. And so the rice was in it and it was boiling and I was like on the computer or something. And it was like literally probably seconds away from fire everywhere. So mm -hmm. how did you, how did you, did you just remember? Oh my gosh, I forgot to turn yeah, it down. I didn't turn it down. Yeah. Like I walked by the kitchen. It was years ago. I was in my master's in Tennessee. That's how I remember. So I went through this whole big healthy cooking thing and like, this was part of it. And yeah, no. So saved it though. Not the rice, but the kitchen. <laughs> rice was, yeah. Rice was done. What, what, I mean, what is rice when it's that hot? Is it just, um, is it just a congealed mess or something like that? Well, it was like starting to burn. So it was like getting charred on the, like the water was gone. Yeah. Oh, so right. Of course. <laughs> bad. <laughs> <laughs> what was your worst job growing up? I'm scared to say. <laughs> like, I don't want to offend anyone. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I, I I will say I had a job in my master's where I worked at a local frozen yogurt place that I'm just not cut out for customer service or helping the public with ice cream. Like, okay. I, it did give me a whole new respect for any type of food service, customer service person. Yeah. Brutal when people don't get their frozen yogurt right. <laughs> I could never do it again. Gotcha. <laughs> You'll, it's like I will literally do anything else. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, what is a non-music related goal you still have? 
Oh my gosh. I always have some sort of fitness goal or just some sort of like, um, physical health goal for a long time. It's been to be able to do pull-ups. Um, cause I've always had some sort of shoulder thing going on. So I just want to push past it. But I think right now, I mean, I'll share my age. It's not that big a deal, but I turned 30 in April. So my goal is to just like be kicking butt in terms of physical health at leading up to that. So that actually starts after this working out. Okay. So Getting on track. I think the last year, since about February of last year, it's been practice, practice, practice. And I've been so excited about it and great, but physical health hasn't been like where I want it to be. So, so pull let's ups. go. Uh, yeah, maybe eventually. I think right now I want to get in really good, like functional training shape. So being able to do like high intensity interval training really well, because that I have in the past and right now I'm not there and I want to get back to that. Yeah. Cause I yeah. have noticed that's when I feel the best is when I can do things like high intensity interval training. Well, if I lift really well, I normally in my normal day to day, don't feel as good. If mm. that makes sense. I feel like I'm carrying extra weight, but I can lift a lot of weight. Yeah. Yeah. Right now I'm kind of in the opposite camp. I want to be fast and let's go. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cause I drink more coffee. Right, right, of course. <laughs> All the time. Is, is this mug large enough? More. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. All right, uh, a couple more. Your the most bizarre, funniest, or strangest performance moment that involves you? Oh my gosh, I got a good one. Okay. There was <laughs> University of Florida. We had this would be like most shocking, I guess. Um, we had this thing called the Swamp Symphony. You know, Florida Gators were in the swamp. Right. So we called Swamp Symphony and the orchestra is playing this concert, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And we're on this like amphitheater outside and we notice something is smoking and we're like, what is going on? And right above the tympanist are these huge stage lights and one is on fire and it's just like on fire and like no one did anything and we just kept playing no one stopped the whole sound crew was just watching yeah so eventually it burned itself out which was good did not lead to a disaster but that was pretty shocking to just keep playing during that yeah and hope for the best <laughs> and you were you playing timpani or no no i wasn't the timpanist so i was witnessing okay. <laughs> oh my god what's going on yeah now in terms of like playing incidences i'm sure there's like tons that i can think of um Probably every you have time two I years of uh, two years uh, of drum corps. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of. I'm sure there's like so many in drum corps that I'm not recollecting. That we're just like, what is happening? What are we doing? Yeah, I'll have to think on those. Okay. All right. Well, last question, Caitlin. Uh, what one piece of art? Could be books, movies, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art, poetry, anything has impacted you the most recently. It wasn't the most recent, but in terms of like the last 10 years, probably two things that have significantly resonated with me. They were both at PASIC actually. And I don't know if you went to this, but when Nancy Zeltzman did her Soto Voce concert, were you at that? I might have been. Okay. I think it was 2014, but that was like, a transformative experience for me, like tears streaming down my face, no idea what's happening. Like, mm. this is amazing. And something that I have never experienced before. It's like, when I think about my teachers, they're all kind of over here and Nancy's like way over here. Mm-hmm. Um, so then in going to Zeltzman Rima Festival, that was just awesome to be in her world. 
So that was one. Um, thinking songs, seeing that played was another. And actually, if I think of a third, um, Sandbox's concert was like, I could have sat and listened to the whole concert again. Did you go to that one at PASIC? I went to about a half, I went to a portion of it. I didn't see the okay. whole thing, but I could tell that it was, it was like a, a like a production. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, like I love music that teeters on the edge of not being totally accessible and you've got to just jump into that world and listen a lot to start to access it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what their concert felt like. Like, yeah, it's catchy. It's groovy. It's awesome. But like, what the heck is happening? Like, that's the kind of stuff I gravitate towards. So not super black and white, like this is what's happening, but okay. Where are we moving with this? And you like yeah. the, um, you like it when you, you are not totally sure where it's going. Yeah. Or I don't totally understand it. And I have to really get into it to understand it. Now, sometimes I don't want to do that. I just want to be on a break. <laughs> not any part of it. But if I, if something catches me, I'm like, okay, like I really want to immerse myself in this. Yeah. Gotcha. And I hope with like, we talked about reading that I can get to that point too, where I find a book that's just like, yes, this is making me think things that make you think, I guess, are mm-hmm. what I feel trans transformative to me. What a blast to have Caitlin on the show. I look forward to keeping up with her career through her social media and through the Health and Wellness Committee and continued good luck in her career. This week's rave is a relatively recent podcast, an episode of WTF with Mark Marin and his guest, biographer Bob Spitz. I've talked frequently about how much I've been inspired and enjoyed Mark Marin's podcast over the years. It's one of the models I've used for this show. I keep up with it quite regularly and usually enjoy hearing him get to talk to all sorts of folks, primarily in the world of entertainment. I wasn't aware that I'd enjoyed this interview as much as I did, but his guest, Bob Spitz, was a great storyteller. Spitz is a biographer who has written about both Julia Child and Ronald Reagan outside of the world of music, but has made his bones writing biographies about Bob Dylan and the Beatles, and was hawking his new biography about Led Zeppelin. He grew up as both a guitarist and working in the business side of pop music as an early manager and talent scout who caught up with Bruce Springsteen when he was very young. One of the joys of the interview was Spitz giving his insights into what makes all of these well-known folks click. He is someone who, through dogged research, finds connections to these artists prior to their being major stars that shows why they were successful. And his stories about finding Bob Dylan's favorite radio DJ growing up, or how Led Zeppelin knew the first moments they jammed together that they had something that was going to work for all of them after a lot of struggles in lots of different bands, or just making sure that the Beatles really wanted to get their story right once and for all. In any case, it's a lot of fun to hear these stories told by Bob Spitz, the biographer, and I look forward to checking out his work. Check out the WTF podcast with Mark Marin and his guest, Bob Spitz, available wherever you get your podcasts. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes 
at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete's Perk Pod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Until then.